We are in this place of waiting for, expecting Christmas, right? Preparing for it, even. Some of you do a lot of preparation because you're going to be hosting your family. You're going to be hosting parties. You're going to be uh, needing to take care of all of the things, the shopping list and the gifts that need to be wrapped and all of those things. And some of you are very busy preparing for Christmas. You might have a list. You might have a, a calendar and on each thing. You're like, oh, I have to do this on that day. I have to do this on this day. And, and each day it's getting closer, right? There's, a, there's an expectation like it's going to happen whether you're ready or not, right? As we think about the first Advent, like we started talking about here this Advent season, the first Advent is the fact that Jesus was born in the manger, that he has uh, risen And now he is in heaven waiting to come back again. And the question is, are we ready for that Advent? You're probably not quite ready for the celebration of the first Advent, but are you ready for the second Advent when he comes again? There are some things that Jesus himself told us to do to be ready for that. And this morning we want to talk about that together because it's my heart that all of you and everybody who hears this message would be ready. That nobody would be caught unaware. It's not a good position to be in, you'll see, as Jesus tells us these parables. His parables are stories that he tells to try to illustrate a spiritual truth and to help us to remember it. So I hope that this morning we will remember. Another thing that he did to help us to get ready and to be expectant of his return is found in the last words of our Bible. If you look at the book of Revelation in chapter 22, it says again and again that Jesus was saying to to John, the apostle, I am coming again. In Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Revelation 22, 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let all who hear say, come. So in other words, there's there's an invitation and there's a response that we can't wait for you to come. There's some people on your list that you want them to come and visit you. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren. You sent them an invitation. Come to my house on Christmas Eve. Come to my house on Christmas. I can't wait for you to be there, right? So there's an anticipation of joy in that that response. Jesus in, in Revelation 22 verse 20 says, yes, I am coming soon. And then the, the, the scripture ends with, Amen, Lord. Come soon. So that's this, this conversation about the second advent that's taking place between the church, the bride, and the spirit of God, as well as Jesus himself. So as we think about receiving Jesus on his second coming, We should have joy because we should be anticipating his arrival and the celebration of seeing him. He is our savior. He's our redeemer. He's our friend. We are not in fear of him. We should have joy in our hearts as we long for him to come. That term that we used in the title last week and this week, Maranatha, is a prayer, really, of our hearts. Yes, Lord, come. Come soon. Return to your people. Bring us to yourself. You know, Jesus taught 
very important truths in his word. So important that we have four gospels to help record them for us. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. So it's like when something's important, you tell people twice. You might even remind them three times. Well, God went even further to say, let me remind you four times. So in the gospels, we have recorded for us the words of Jesus. And we should read them and rehearse them again and again and again so that we do not forget the things that Jesus said. Our passage this morning is found in the Gospel of Matthew. So let's look at Matthew chapter 25. We'll be looking at 24 and 25. So it shouldn't be too hard to to keep up with the Scripture reading this morning. Matthew 25. So if you're using the blue Bible that's in the pew, it's, it's 983. Jesus teaches us a parable here, or teaches his disciples a parable here about a bridegroom, about a, a wedding. This is a metaphor here that will help us to, to sort of think about that. Now think about preparing for Christmas, and then think about those of you who have done it, preparing for a wedding. It's even bigger, right? It's even more because you're inviting maybe hundreds of guests and you have all kinds of different things, the outfits and the dresses and the the flowers and then the meal and then the the dessert, the cake and and there's all these traditions, all these things that have to be remembered. And that's usually on the bride and her family. Like it's on that. Those people are planning that thing for all those people. So Jesus uses a very important event, probably the most important event in most of our lives to help us think about this very important event, his return. His return. So we're in the midst of preparing for a celebration of Christmas, the first Advent. But let's also make sure that we are prepared and ready for his second Advent when he comes again. This is God's heart because Jesus wants us to be with him. He didn't want us to be caught unprepared. So he repeats and he tells stories and he reminds us, I want you to be ready. Don't forget. I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. I'm coming soon. So in Matthew 25, let me just give you the historical setting that's described here. This is a a first century Jewish wedding. He's speaking to Jews at this point in his ministry. And normally the bridegroom with some of his close friends, left his home to go to the bride's house. So there's this, there's this traveling that's taking place. It, at, at that house, there'd be certain ceremonies, and then they would return back to the groom's house as well for the rest of the ceremonies and the completion of this thing. It took a few days. It wasn't just an hour or two on a Saturday afternoon or a Friday night. It was a big event. It involved a lot of people and some travel back and forth. And so there's this procession through the streets. One of those processions from the bride's house to the groom's house is done at night after the sun has set. So now in this parable, we have the picture of, of, they call it ten virgins, but we would call them ten bridesmaids. Ten bridesmaids who are assisting the bride and are part of this ceremony. So let's read this together. Matthew 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins or bridesmaids 
who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with the lamps. The bridesmaid, the, uh, the bridegroom, was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy, all of them, and they fell asleep. At midnight, a cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all of the virgins woke up and they, they trimmed their lamps, which means they, they got the, the flame going up again. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Oh, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were away, buying oil... The bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him into the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the other ones also came. Sir, sir, they said, open up the door for us. But he replied to them, I tell you the truth. I don't even know you. And Jesus ends his parable by saying, therefore, keep Watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Keep watch. It's an interesting story, isn't it? Now, again, culturally and even historically, it's, it's a little hard for us to understand, but let's just think about this for a moment. These, these bridesmaids, they were all there together anticipating this celebration to come. The wedding feast, the wedding banquet that's mentioned here. And they didn't want to miss it. Five of them were so intent on not missing it that they came prepared. They brought extra oil so that when their lamps got low, these oil lamps, they could pour some oil in and they could keep going. Other ones forgot about that. Wasn't that important. And they thought, oh, surely he'll be, you know, I have enough. And they rushed there. But their oil ran low. They weren't fully prepared for the event. So our question for ourselves as disciples is, am I filled with that oil? Do I have enough? Am I prepared? Am I really anticipating knowing him and being with him forever? You see, everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or her own oil. There wasn't someone who had to carry, you know, gallons for everybody else. It was part of their responsibility to have their own oil. So that when the five bridesmaids without it asked the ones with it, give us some of yours, they said, oh, I, I, we may not have enough for both of us. You're going to have to go get your own. You're going to have to, you know, and we think, well, that's not very Christian. They should have shared. Weren't they taught to share in kindergarten? No, no they, they knew. They knew. That they had needed it ahead of time. They were fully prepared. And those who were not prepared had to go and make preparations. So let's think about in relation to us and salvation. We are saved one by one by one. 
Jesus knows each one of us, calls each one of us to repentance, calls each one of us into new life in him, and we are born again one at a time. Now, there may have been many people, maybe you went to a Billy Graham crusade, and that's where you, so you, you came to Christ with hundreds of other people, but it was individual, one by one by one, nonetheless. Each one of us is responsible for our own relationship with God. For our own relationship that is ongoing every day. You can't rely on the pastor to get you into heaven. You can't rely on your husband or your wife to get you into heaven. You can't rely on your good Christian friend to get you into heaven. You got to rely on your personal relationship with God to get you into heaven. Amen? You know that. That's, a, that's sort of like something we teach, something that we know as believers. But you'd be surprised at how many people, they think just by being somewhat associated with a Christian, kind of hanging out with some Christians, maybe going on a Christian concert or going to a Christian camp or whatever, makes them a Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. Hanging out with Christians doesn't make you a Christian. That means some of you in this room, you may think just by hanging out with the church people, that's going to get you into the wedding banquet. That's not your ticket. Your ticket is a personal relationship with God. Sustained by you. Sustained by your walk with God. Your talking with God. Your time in his word. Your time alone with God as well as with God's people. So, that's one thing we can learn just by thinking about that whole exchange between these bridesmaids, the, the ones who didn't have the oil and the ones who did. One of the truths of this parable also that's very important, and I think it is the most important because he says it again in verse 13, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. We've got to be ready. Keeping watch is, is part of being ready. We've got to be ready means preparing for whatever contingencies might arise in our life. And keeping our eyes on him or on his return as we eagerly wait for him. As seen in the fact that all of the virgins were sleeping when the call came at midnight. In some way, it doesn't matter what we're actually doing at that moment. So you don't have to stay awake 24-7, 365, right? It's okay to rest. It's okay to sleep while you wait. Now, we're going to talk about this in a moment because he tells another parable, and, and sleeping is also another aspect. It's not a good one. But in this case, all of them were allowed to rest while they waited for him. So we may be sleeping. We may be working. We may be eating. We may be playing when Jesus comes back. The issue is we're ready when he does. We're ready. We don't have to go and take care of some things. So being ready would mean being in right relationship with God. Because that is the only way we enter into that place, that wedding feast, that wedding banquet, that place that he's come to bring us to. The door was locked. They had to knock on the door and say, sir, sir, let us in. And he said, I don't even know you. And didn't let them in. 
We have to be ready in that relationship with God that we know him, that we, that we take the time to know him, that we develop our relationship to be intimate and, and knowledgeable about who he is and how he has changed our lives and affected our lives. We've got to be ready. We can't say, oh, Jesus is back, but I've got to take care of some things over here first, and then I'll pay attention to that. It is the most important thing. Everything else pales in comparison to being ready for Christ. That is the point of this. I looked up this phrase because in the back of my head this week as I was studying this passage, I was thinking, what does it mean to carry a torch for someone? Like these women are carrying these lamps. What does it mean to carry a torch for someone? You hear that, you hear that term sometimes when they're talking about Relationship, they'll say, Oh, he's carrying the torch for her, you know. And I'm like, Now, maybe you've never heard that. I'm kind of old, so I have heard that phrase. But, and so in my mind, I was curious, so I looked it up, and it says that to carry the torch for someone is to feel a passion, a devotion, a dedication to them. And I thought, Oh, that's perfect, because we should be carrying the torch for Jesus. We should have a passion for Jesus. We should be dedicated to Jesus. We should be excited and, and devoted to Him. The other thing that I learned in looking that up was that the, these, these lamps could also be considered torches, right? Um, there, there is a tradition in the Roman and Greek world, which that's the culture, that's the environment that the Jews were living under, Roman, Roman uh, dictatorship, right? Um, in that world, there was a tradition with the bride and the groom. They went from house to house, so the groom went from his house to the bride's house, then when the bride left her house, she took the flame from the hearth or from the fire that was at her house and carried it through the streets to light the flame in her new home. That she brought the torch with her to light that house up with warmth and light. I thought that was beautiful. And I thought if we don't have a light to light, if we're not carrying a torch for Jesus, what are we going to have to light that house, we'll have nothing to light that house, right? So, so there's a lot of relational sort of imagery and, and, and ideas within here that we need to meditate on and think about deeply with Jesus. That we're so in love with him, that we're so ready to meet him, that our devotion is really to him most of all. So Number one in being ready for Christ's return is that we've got to be born again through saving faith in Jesus. You can't just be like a friend of a Christian or a child of Christian parents or someone who once went to Sunday school or youth camp. It's not enough. You have to have an ongoing relationship with Jesus and be born again of the Spirit. The second thing that we have to do to be ready for Jesus' return is that we have to grow and show the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Well, I don't see that in that passage there, Pastor Tom. You're just talking about these bridesmaids and whatever. All right, so let's look. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 45, and listen to another parable that Jesus told about the return. Starting at verse 45, Jesus says to his disciples, Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Oh, wait a minute. 24. Let's start up, let's start up earlier. Let's start up earlier. Um, 42. Therefore, keep watch, 
Because you do not know on what day that your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at the time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with drunkards. The master of that house will come on, on, that, on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he is not aware. And then hold on to your britches. Verse 51, he will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ah, you know, those are the most uncomfortable verses in the Bible when, when this judgment is put into these very graphic pictures for us. It's to accentuate how important it is to be ready, to not be the unfaithful servant. Nobody wants to be that guy. So Jesus tries to think of the most awfulest thing that could happen to you. Wow, how about if I chopped them into pieces and throw them in? Okay, that's what I'll say. You know? So he just wants to highlight how important this is. To be ready and faithful. And here in this parable that he's telling, we see something of the fruit of the Spirit, or at least a mature, loving, conscientious person. In this world. Do you know sometimes I hear things about Christians that I don't like to hear? For instance, Christians are so mean. You ever heard that? Any of you heard that? They're mean people. Well, that shouldn't be. Now, if that's not true, that's just a rumor, whatever. But if it's true, then there's an issue. Because look at this servant here. There's two servants in this household, in this example of this household. One, verse 45, one gives their food to the rest of the household, so he's in charge somehow of the menu or of how the, the food is distributed. He gives them their food at the proper time. And it'll be good for that one when his master comes back and finds that he did what he asked him to do. So there's, there's something about what we have been asked by God to do are we doing it? And are we doing it in a loving and faithful way? Might be simply taking care of your children. It might be being a good neighbor. It might be showing kindness to those who are marginalized. Right? So if, if God has asked us to do it, we should do it because he asked us to. And we should do it in a kind way. Showing the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience that's needed sometimes to deal with people because people aren't easy. But the one who ends up being called the wicked servant, notice he's, he's not concerned with the, with the master coming back. He's like, hey, he's staying away a long time. And while he's away, I guess I'll just do what 
I want to do. Which, this is a mean person because he wants to beat the other servants, and then he wants to eat and drink and, and get drunk, right? So he just takes his lifestyle and goes, you know, right, right off the cliff. Because of the waiting period. Now, we're in the waiting period. This is where we live right now. Remember, we talked about that. We're between these two advents. So Christ has come, and we're celebrating that on Christmas. He has come, but he is yet to return. So he's the master in these stories. He's the one who's still out of the house in that sense. And while he's away, you know what it says, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? So while he's away... We better play nice. We better do what he's asked us to do and to do it faithfully and lovingly and not follow after the pattern of this world and our sin nature. It's a simple parable to understand. Not so easy to live out. But with God's help and with his spirit, we can do that. So when the master... When this servant says, my master's staying away for a long time and then began to like lose his mind, you know, this is what we've got to watch out for. Keep watch. Don't, don't follow this pattern. This pattern doesn't end well, does it? Chopped into pieces, right? Doesn't end well. Jesus is making a strong point for us. Be the faithful servant. You know, Jesus is teaching us that we have to be consistent in our lifestyle while we're waiting for him to return. And that consistency comes from the fruit of the Spirit. It comes from his Spirit dwelling within us and us treating others with the grace and mercy that we've already received. You know, the world would say, those who are sitting around and thinking about Jesus coming back are the crazy people, right? In every movie, in every, you know, sitcom or whatever you people watch. And there's always like the crazy person on the street who's like, repent, the Lord is coming. You know, and everybody's just mm, going around, making a wide circle around that person. Just like, oh my gosh, there's that crazy guy again. You know, waiting for Jesus to come back and anticipating it with joy. It's not crazy. Don't let the world sort of squash that. Now, I don't know if you have to go out in the street with a big sign or not. That's between you and God. But, but the idea that he's coming back should not be squashed or, or quenched in us. We should be excited that he's returning again. The fact that he came already and did all that he already did to rescue us and bring us to himself, he has yet to finish that. He hasn't brought us to the banquet yet. But the banquet's waiting for us. And we should be excited about that. One of the best passages articulating saving grace and saving faith and what it looks like in a believer's life is in Titus chapter 2. You don't have to turn there because I have it on these slides. But Titus, Titus chapter 2 is Paul speaking to one of his, his followers. He writes this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared or has already appeared to all men. Who is that? That's Jesus, right. Uh, all men. It teaches us, so the grace that Jesus gave us teaches us to what? Say no to ungodliness. To say no to ungodliness and the worldly passions and to 
live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That's the first servant, the faithful servant. He was living according to the, the master's instructions. He was doing what God asked him to do, and he was faithful to it. He was using self-control. Maybe he was tempted to go off with carousing with the guys, but he didn't. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, in the moment that we're waiting, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own. Could have ended right there, but it doesn't. Who are eager to do what is good. See, that, that relationship with God, that intimate relationship with God, that personal relationship with God changes us, transforms us, and makes us want to do what is good, what God says is good, what his word instructs us to do. So another way to be ready for Christ's return is to learn to say no to ungodliness and the worldly passions. The worldly passions are just whatever the world tells you to do that's anti-God, that has nothing to do with God, that has to do either with self, selfishness, or just the destruction patterns of this world. See, back in Matthew 25, again, the, the five virgins who had the extra oil, they represented those who were born again of the Spirit, those who were looking with eagerness to the return of Christ. They have a saving faith, and they were determined that no matter how long it took, no matter how difficult the time was, the, the passing of time for them, when Jesus returned, they would be ready. This should be our heart as well. Because of our love for God, because of our desire to serve him and to, to show our love by, by loving other people, we should be ready when he returns. The, the five virgins without the oil could only represent false believers. They can't be believers who were like, not prepared. So, so salvation gets you into heaven. I don't want anyone to be afraid. It's not the good works or anything like that. But, but they cannot be true believers. They must have just been, like I said, enjoying the benefits of being around this party, being, being part of this, this group of people who were going to go to this big banquet. Everybody wants an invitation to a big banquet. Everybody wants an invitation to a party. Not everybody wants to be faithful and good. Because their hearts have not been changed. You know, Jesus said something very similar to this earlier in Matthew, Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. This is, this is important theology for you to understand. Just because people sing Christian songs, just because people go to Christian concerts, just because they even wear Christian t-shirts or whatever, doesn't make them a Christian. They have to do the will of the Father. 
And his good and pleasing perfect will is revealed to us in his word. It's revealed to us by his spirit as the spirit works his word into our lives. And we are changed by it. None of us want to hear, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, the term lawlessness, we're not about legalism. We're not about keeping the law. But for them, they understood that their relationship through, through Old Testament Judaism, through the temple, through all the sacrifices, their relationship with God was kept current by keeping the law, by keeping the Sabbath, by making the sacrifices, by doing the things that, that God had laid out for them in the Old Testament, first covenant, before the covenant that was cut in the blood of Jesus. That is available to us. By God's grace. We don't have to go back and keep the law, but what we need to do is display the life of God within us to others through our actions, through our words, through our attitudes. That's keeping the law of love. Jesus talks about you, 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 a whole law, the whole law can be summed up. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's, it's a loving experience to be a Christian. So none of you should be those mean Christians, unless someone's gossiping and making up lies about you. So when you, when you feel that, remember, wait a minute, I'm supposed to show love. I'm supposed to be ready when Christ comes back. I'm not supposed to be berating my wife or berating my children. I'm supposed to be building them up. I'm supposed to be doing what God's word instructs me to do in this world. So let's remember this as Jesus tells these stories. The outcome of both of these is that the master returns. The outcome in both of these stories is that some people, one servant, five, five bridesmaids were ready but the other servant and the other bridesmaids were not. So Jesus' final point to us is number four. To be ready for Christ's return, we must keep watch. We must keep watch. Those words are used in each of these stories. And there's this spiritual image of like sleepwalking through life that we have to be careful of because sometimes we become tired and worn out and numb to everything, including God, and we start just sort of going through the motions and not really paying all that much attention to our lives or to God or to what God's Word says, and we kind of just become zombies, right? God doesn't want us to be in that condition. I'm convinced that it is a clear representation of many believers, even today, they're not awake to this fact that Jesus is coming soon. It's been a long time, over 2,000 years. That seems long to us, but not to God. So a final, final passage is that I've already read a little bit of in Matthew 24. I want to just be, be looking at it as we end here. In Matthew 24, verse 42, therefore keep watch because you don't know the day that your Lord will come. 
But understand this, the owner of the house, if he'd known the time of night that the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have left his house to be broken into. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you least expect it. So it's, it's an odd kind of thing because Jesus is, in a sense, using the thief as like his own persona in this story. He's the one coming. He's, he's going to come when you least expect it. That is not meant to be scary for Christians. It's meant to be kind of exciting. Think about Santa Claus. Just for a moment. I don't like to bring him up in church, but let's think about it for a moment. All the excitement of being a child and believing that story that there's a Santa Claus who's going to come when you're asleep and he's going to tiptoe or come down the chimney or whatever he does. And then when you wake up, boom, all your presents are going to be there. Your stockings are going to be stuffed or whatever. There's, there's, this, there's this excitement about he's coming when you least expect it. He's coming while you're asleep. Quick, get in bed. Quit and get in bed and fall asleep so Sandy can come, right? Why don't we have the same kind of feeling about the coming of Jesus? We should not dread his return. We should be excited. Ooh, it could be today. It could be tonight while I'm sleeping. I can't wait. Just as the kids like, can't wait for Christmas. We as believers in God's word and in, in Jesus should be in that excited anticipation of, I can't wait till he comes. He's coming. He will not lie. He cannot lie. And because he came in the first advent and did what he promised to do, save us from our sins and forgive us and give us eternal life because he's already done that part. He's going to finish the work that he's begun. We know that, right? He is faithful to complete the work he has begun. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We want to be excitedly expectant of your return, but we want to be ready. God, if there's anything in us that is not ready, we invite your spirit to work that thing through us, to change us, to give us your spirit to guide and teach so that we may be faithful as we wait. We may be doing what you asked us to do as we wait. We may have enough oil to make it through the whole night because we are excited and prepared and we can't wait to celebrate with you. So God, we just thank you for your word and we thank you for the words of Jesus who wants us to be ready. I pray that we would. And in this Advent time, continue to remind us to be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.